You're listening to the Tranquility Tribe podcast, an empowering space for all parents from conception to childhood. In this podcast, you'll explore your birth options, hear from experts in the field, learn to embrace self-indulgence, and prepare yourself for parenthood with Haiti. She's a coffee connoisseur, lover of deep belly laughs, a big-time tailgater, and your neighborhood birth junkie. From Mississippi to Massachusetts and everywhere in between, here's your host, Hee. Hello, villagers! Happy Tuesday, you guys! We made it to the beginning of another week. I'm so excited that you tuned in with me today. Thanks so much for showing up for me, for showing up for you, for showing up for the women and the children of our world and our future, for standing up for what I believe in, what you believe in, for making tomorrow better. Thanks. I appreciate it. How are you doing on this fine Tuesday? How are you feeling? When's the last time you checked in with yourself? When's the last time you did something for yourself? When's the last time you put yourself first? It can be as simple as plopping your child in front of a 10 or 15 minute show so that you can go to the bathroom by yourself and just sit for a few minutes and just breathe think about nothing or think about something that you've been wanting to think about or it might look like a weekend away advocate for yourself if that's in the cards for you and it's something that you have the resources to do you need to be telling somebody you need to be having someone come take care of your kids so that you can step out and recharge You're no good to anybody if you are a dead battery. How good is your phone if it's dead? Not good at all. You might as well not even have it. Not that people might as well not even have you, but how much good are you doing if you're a dead battery? Truly ask yourself that. Make sure that you are putting yourself as a priority at least some of the time. I can see you rolling your eyes and thinking, yeah, right, he, he, I can't put myself number one. I have kids and a partner and a job and all of this and all of that and, 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 and. That's fine. I'm not asking you to make yourself number one all of the time. I am asking you to make yourself number one some of the time. And I think that you can do it. You're worth it. Make sure that you're taking the time to pay attention to yourself, to your mental health, to your body, to what you need, to recharging yourself so that you can serve your kids and your family and your partner and your work better. Happy Tuesday, you guys. I'm so excited that you are here. You're listening to episode number 77 of the Tranquility Tribe podcast. And today, we are diving into birth control. Not just birth control, but really the harmful 
effects of birth control and how, as women, we are marketed to and essentially lied to. You know, I don't like to place blame. I don't love to say that people were intentional and lying. It's very hard for me to believe that people set out to lie to us, but I think in today's episode, you will walk away questioning what was the intention with all of this and how did we let it get this far where we are truly blindly following doctors and big pharma to make decisions in our life that is really, really impacting our future. So it's not only we're trusting people to put synthetic hormones in our body, but we are just now seeing the long-term effects of that. And y'all, it is horrendous in some cases. I'm excited that you've tuned in today. Today's a great episode. If you've been around for a minute, buckle up. This is a good one. If you're new here, buckle up double time. Put on a helmet. This one is a mind-blowing episode. It is going to leave you walking away feeling like you have some massive thinking to do because if you're on birth control, this is going to question everything you know. If you've been on birth control, you're going to be wanting to see the damage that has been done. And if you've never been on birth control, you're probably going to be thankful, but also your wills are going to be turned and you're going to want to dive into this. So grab a pen, grab a notepad, pull up the notes on your phone. If you are driving, use voice dictation. Take notes, you guys. This is going to be an episode that you will want to revisit. Today's guest, most of you will probably know her as the author of the best-selling book, Sweetening the Pill, or How We Got Hooked on Hormonal Birth Control. She is also helping to produce a documentary that was inspired by her book. She's been featured in The Guardian, Washington Post, NPR, CBC, and Vice. And Vice called her the poster girl for a movement of women abandoning the pill in favor of contraceptives that don't wreak havoc on their bodies and mind. She's also been featured in Vogue and the British Vogue. Now she's leading workshops and traveling the world, helping women be empowered, know their options, and get off hormonal birth control for good. I am so excited for today's episode. I know that you're going to walk away feeling so empowered, but also a little mind blown. Let's dive right in. Tuning in from LA, Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you. This is something that I think a lot of people probably don't know about. And if they do know about, they probably don't know where to get the correct, you know, information, the evidence-based information. So I'm really, really excited to have you on the show. So before we dive into hormones and birth control and all of that, can you first tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became this advocate for women's health and specifically educating people on hormonal birth control? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it actually came out of my own personal experience with the birth control pill, which I used for over 10 years. 
um, from when they were 17 to 27, and um, on a particular brand of pill called Yasmin, also known as Yaz in this country, um, I had some very severe side effects, particularly mental health issues as side effects. And that led me down the path of research. I've always been a journalist, so um, I did my own research and I started collating that research and I wrote a piece for a magazine called Easy Living, um, which was uh, about the side effects that you may not have heard of when it came to the pill. And thankfully for that, I got to do a lot of interviews with uh, science researchers and doctors about this topic of the side effects of hormonal birth control. Um, and then when I had had some time, I was able to put this into the beginning of a blog. Um, and the blog was subtitled, Who Am I When I'm Not on the Pill? Um, and it actually became a place for me to describe and detail my journey off the pill after 10 years, as well as put all my interviews and research and build more research and interviews on, on that platform as well. And the blog became a book proposal. The book proposal became a book, uh, Sweetening the Pill. And then um, after that, it actually got options for a documentary, which is currently in post-production. Wow, you have done so much. That is amazing. I love that so much. Followers, you can find all the things um, for Holly in our show notes. There's a lot of it. So whenever you get the chance, take a dive into that. So Holly, what's the story of the birth control pill? It has a, um, a rather ugly past. Take us down memory lane for a minute. It used to be tested on men and then it just, it, it doesn't have a pretty past. What do we need to know about that? Well, during the time that the pill was tested, as with most medications, you didn't get consent to do testing. Um, they used um, populations that were um, people who were in mental um, health institutions. So people with mental health issues were used for these kind of experiments, um, as well as um, women, my, minority groups, uh, women in the developing world. Um, and, you know, this is seen through much of the history of gynecology and women's health. Um, but you're right, they also did tests actually in the mental health institutions, they tested on men um, as well as women to begin with the synthetic hormones and what they would do and whether they would be sterilized as a result. Um, and during that time, they discovered that if men take synthetic hormones, then their testicles shrink. And so that was seen as a side effect that wouldn't be accepted. Um, but of course, um, as I always like to point out, women's ovaries do shrink when they're taking synthetic hormones, i.e. the hormonal birth control pill. Um, and so the only thing is, is that you can't see ovaries um, unless, you, uh, unless you have an ultrasound. So that, that is a, it is a, you know, a, a weird and, and difficult history prior to the release of the pill. Um, one of the things of the, one of the parts of the history of the pill I always like to talk about, because I don't think many people are aware of it, is that after about 10 years of being on the market, the first kind of pill, Enovid, had caused serious side effects for many women um, who were uh, getting strokes and blood clots um, and severe depression and a lot of problems. And <clears throat> there was actually an event called the Nelson Pill Hearings, which were Senate hearings regarding these side effects. And they interviewed doctors, uh, all male doctors, 
and feminists got together and they protested the Nelson Pill hearings and said that women should be allowed to speak as they were the ones taking the pill. They were the ones that had experienced side effects. And of course, some of them had died and some of them knew women who had died. Um, and that was kind of a turning point for the women's health movement in general um, and brought about, um, you know, Barbara Seaman's book, The Doctor's Case Against the Pill, which was you know, one of the first books about the, the the fact that women are medicated, something that causes these side effects. So that's a really interesting part of our history um, as women in women's health um, and part of feminist history as well. And, uh, you know, over the, over the years, things have changed quite a bit. Um, marketing has been very um, pervasive and, and led to the fact that now that many women take the pill in ways that we would never have dreamed of in the 60s, as in they start in their teens and they take it through to menopause, they uh, prescribed it for everything from PMS to acne to endometriosis, um, and it's really very much treated as kind of a cure-all um, for anything that goes wrong with, with women's health specifically. Well, that kind of leads me into my next question about all of the ways that you may be using birth control. Um, I feel like a lot of our listeners are, are probably have their ears kind of perked up like, hmm, this might be me. You know, what are some ways that we're using birth control and we shouldn't be and why? So like regulating our period and PMS and avoiding pregnancy, there are reasons, you know, that our bodies don't react the way that this medicine is making our bodies react. Tell us about that. Yeah, so my book concentrates very much on the avoiding pregnancy part. Many women still do use hormonal birth control to avoid pregnancy. Um, and, you know, I talk about fertility awareness as an alternative, but I am also very much aware that many women these days have prescribed it for other things, like I said, acne, PMS, et cetera, cramps. Um, and what the thing that you can should understand about that is that the pill or hormonal birth control in general is actually just a band-aid solution. Um, so <clears throat> if you're suffering from something like hormonal acne or PMS or mood swings or cramps, it's usually due to hormonal imbalance issue. Um, and taking the pill doesn't regulate those hormones. It doesn't regulate your period. It actually suppresses the hormones your body produces and replaces your hormones with synthetic hormones, um, which have not only are they very different to the hormones your body produces, but they act very differently. Um, so you have a, just a steady, consistent stream of synthetic hormones rather than the rise and fall of your body's hormones. And you aren't experiencing a period on the pill because um, you're actually only experiencing a withdrawal bleed, which isn't physiologically the same as menstruation. So we give we give that we prescribe the pill because it um, can sometimes have beneficial um, effects on acne and PMS and things like that for some women. Um, and as I said before, it's kind of seen as a cure-all. Or the other way to look at it is that uh, due to its availability, we really haven't looked into other possibilities in the, within the medical establishment for how to treat these issues that women might experience um, as a result of hormonal imbalances. But um, unfortunately, usually what happens is if and when you eventually want to come off that birth control method, um, the symptoms will return, and that includes things like PCOS, um, and endometriosis because it doesn't actually change anything. Sometimes it can actually exacerbate the 
the core issues that are going on in your body. And so those things will just return, which is obviously a problem for most women because most women will eventually want to come off their birth control method, whether it's because they want to try to have a baby or just because they feel they've been on it too long and they want to break. Um, so yeah, that's the issue with how it's described now. Um, you know, obviously it isn't actually changing anything in any kind of sophisticated way. And many women are, uh, are made to believe and told that, you know, the pill is actually doing something productive to, in terms of fixing issues that you have, um, with your cycle when it's actually not doing that. It's replacing it with a synthetic stream of hormones. Gosh, that's incredible. So not only are people, women not being told what is truly happening with their body, but they are being like almost blatantly lied to. Um, do you think that providers know this or do you think they're actually in the dark as well? Well, I think that's a big question. And I think um, basically you've got a medication that came out, you know, 60 so years ago now um that was very much celebrated um as providing women at the time with liberation freedom from their biology um you know not only the fact they could have 28 day cycles as they were told which of course were not cycles at all um and then there was the times of withdrawal bleed but also that you know they could have sex without having to worry about getting pregnant now up until that point women were using condoms and diaphragms mainly uh, so women were avoiding pregnancy but of course it was a game changer and it did change how women were viewed and how uh, what women were able to be involved in in our society including work outside the home so it's become something that like you know it's called the pill even you know the give the only medication with that generic name um because it's so well known and it's so fully accepted and so if you're going coming out of medical school now you're dealing with that history um on top of you know the small amount that you're taught which is a, something like 96 97 percent of what medical students are taught about um contraception about avoiding pregnancy is only to do with hormonal birth control and they're told very little um, due to just society bias in general about women's biology not much there's not much concentration on that um, and the differences and especially not so much concentration on dealing with issues that uh, affect women's health specifically partly because the pill is available um, the pill is considered you know safe as it were in quotation marks and um and therefore why wouldn't you just prescribe this it's easy it's quick um and so that's kind of the attitude that's taken um and that's wrapped up in a wider social issue i think which is how we view women's bodies which you know we're, we're seeing more and more now from stories that are coming out about how we treat women differently when they have heart attacks or whether they're experiencing pain, that women are generally treated differently by the medical establishment. They don't get the treatment they need. They are sent home much more quickly. Um, they often, uh, their pain isn't taken seriously. In fact, a lot of effective treatments and protocols are, have only been developed with men in mind, uh, have only been tested on men and male subjects, um, and have never even been tested on women. So you have a situation that this is sort of compounded in, which is that, you know, we have a sexist medical um, establishment, a sexist medical industry, 
um, that, you know, really doesn't view women's bodies as anything other than inherently kind of faulty and problematic. And, you know, women are hormonal, women have these issues. And that the pill is the easiest and quickest way to deal with that. And um, why not? Because it's safe, because it's been around for 60 years. Um, so, you know, that it, it, it's sort of a, it's a, a whole lot of issues piled on top of each other, really. Wow. I feel like so many women have no idea about this or at least don't understand this before they just hop on birth control. Um, and you mentioned it earlier about consent and then I feel like you just definitely answered it, but is there anything else that, um, we're not being told specifically about our birth control? I feel like there are so many people out there just listening, thinking like, of course I, I'm taking the pill. Like I let them put me on this. I'm okay with it. I understand it. What do you, what are your thoughts when people say that? Well, I think that what we're missing from that is often that we don't get taught how our bodies work. So, you know, you're a birth worker and you'll, you know, you, you'll know this very well that many women don't think about this until they get pregnant or have a baby. And then they sort of reconnect with their bodies and they mm -hmm. realize, oh, mm -hmm. it's kind of amazing. Um, so we don't really get taught very early on or at all, except in kind of uh, abstract uh, science classes, how our bodies work, that we have a fertility cycle, that we're only able to get pregnant on six days per cycle, um, that women are actually only fertile for the 24 hours that are over more eggs survive and that the sperm has a maximum lifespan of five days. Um, we're not taught why we have a period or that it's connected to ovulation or that we have any reason to have a period. In fact, I would say conversely, we're taught that there is no reason to have a period if you don't feel like it, basically, that it's a convenient thing. If you're not interested in having one, you don't want to have a baby. So what? You don't have to have a period. And I think that's kind of the step back from what don't we know about our birth control is what don't we know about our bodies. And that's how we get to the point where we feel that we're consenting um, because if you don't know what how your body works you don't know what your fertility how your fertility cycle works um, you don't know what your hormone cycle is then you know of course you will take something on a small amount of information and not worry about it that much but once you know and you realize oh okay so it's replacing this cycle okay what does that cycle do? Well, it affects intricately almost every function of your body. That's a whole other thing. That's a whole other conversation that you're not being aware of when you're in the doctor's office necessarily. Um, and so I think, you know, once you have that knowledge, it changes your uh, outlook um, entirely. Absolutely. I feel like I love that you um, mentioned, you know, a period is of convenience and you can like have one if you want one or you don't have to if you don't, if you're not trying to have a baby. I definitely succumbed to that idea of thinking for a very long time. Um, wow, this is so incredible. So also mentioning that hormones are um, connected to everything. Listeners, stay tuned for a future episode with an expert at balancing hormones because she has really incredible things to say as well. You will definitely want to hear all of her wisdom. So Holly, if birth control is so harmful for us and we have this research and we have this knowledge, 
how is this still on the market? It's just so insane to me that it's still allowed in a country that has so much money and resources and education. I just, I don't get it. Well, again, we're going back to like, you know, we, we don't not live in a sexist society and only half the population, the female half, takes the pill. So I think if it were a situation where perhaps something like this has come out for men um, in the 60s, we would it would have quite quickly become more of a scandal. And of course, like I did mention, it was in you know involved in the Nelson Pill hearings and the beginnings of the women's health movement were the side effects of the pill. But you know the burden to avoid pregnancy is put on women. Um, you know the consequences, everything involved in pre- um, an unplanned or planned pregnancy uh, falls to women. Uh, we don't have shared responsibility for contraception as a whole. So you know, yes, of course, we do have to avoid um, unplanned pregnancy. So that's part of it. Um, you know, and I think. In the end, you know, you're, if you're dealing with a situation in, you say, well, how is it still on the market if we know all this? Well, we do, some of us know this, some of us don't, but also the research is not, you know, some of the research into the, some of these things is actually not as, um, as there isn't as much of it as you'd think there would be after 60 years of use, actually. Um, so there's a lot of research into things like breakthrough bleeding and side effects that would cause women to stop using products. So um, that's because pharmaceutical industry is interested in like the side effects that might make you stop using products or um, compliance issues, as they call them. But, you know, things like uh, the mental health issues that I discuss in my book, like anxiety and depression, um, they haven't been looked at very um, in very good quality studies. Um, and of course, they're very hard to study those things. You need large populations, you need a large scale, or you need a, a large time scale. The great thing is that recently, and this has only been in the past two, three years, we've seen these big, good quality studies coming out of the University of Copenhagen about depression, about really scary things like suicide risk from being on the pill. Um, and also really important issues like breast cancer risk. Um, but And those are large scale studies, but these things take time to come out. Um, they, you know, getting funding for them is difficult when something is so accepted as the pill is. Um, and of course, you know, you've got a drug that millions of women are taking every day and they're not sick, they're not curing a disease, it's not, it's not life-saving, but they take it every day for decades. That's big money, that's a lot of money. Um, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is making billions from that industry alone. Um, they can make different delivery methods like the implant, the ring, the hormonal IUD. Um, the possibilities are basically endless. In the future, we'll have hormonal birth control by remote control. Um, you know, the more and more women that are on it, you've got dedicated consumers of your medications, you know, potentially for three, four decades of their life. Um, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of profit to make. Wow, that is. So what about, what about um, male birth control? I remember, I don't even know, maybe a couple of months ago, maybe a couple of years ago. I have no idea. I don't really keep up with that. But the, the male birth control that was kind of circulating, was it a rumor? Is mm. it real? Are they truly trying? What's up with that? 
so it's a bit of a joke amongst the field that I'm in, which is that it's all the male birth control pill is always five years around the corner. Um, you know, it's only five years away, and it has been like that for decades. Um, and you know, the most recent one I think was the hormonal shot or injection for men, um, which was a trial that was stopped uh, not because the men necessarily wanted it to be stopped. The men were curious about whether this would be possible for pregnancy prevention. But um, because they saw the side effects as being too severe and the side effects, as much of the media coverage showed, were very similar side effects to what women experience all the time, um, issues like depression. Um, and so there are trials periodically about hormones, specifically synthetic hormone birth control for men. Um, they don't tend to take get, get off the ground very far. They stay pretty small. Um, they did a large-scale study that I talk about in my book with the World Health Organization, which was to see if this would be acceptable among different populations around the world, the idea of having a hormonal birth control for men. And they discovered it wouldn't be acceptable. And so that kind of put the kibosh on a lot of research going forward. But there are other interesting things coming out, like uh, the polymer gel that actually just prevents sperm, um, so it doesn't actually affect hormones. There's a few different other things that are coming out. But again, these have been on uh, ongoing for quite some time with no real movement towards market. Um, I think we have a big issue is the big issue with that is mainly that um, men do have two options right now, condoms and vasectomy. Uh, condom use is constantly declining. STD rates are through the roof um, because not using condoms. Um, and vasectomy rates are generally falling. We occasionally have peaks in different countries, but as a rule, that vasectomy rates are falling. Um, so when you have the two options that men do have for pregnancy prevention not being used, there's no reason for a pharmaceutical industry to want to push forward another option. Um, they're much more uh, comfortable with pushing through more options for women. Wow. That is all just so... I'm just sitting here with my mouth like hung wide open. So how does long-term um, like taking of the pill affect your pregnancy, either getting pregnant or sustaining healthy pregnancies or managing postpartum emotions that are not only balancing after a birth, but also, um, you know, getting to know yourself and your body and your emotions for the first time. Um, this is all just kind of a terrifying thought to me, but how does it how does it affect the kind of reproductive process? So you will generally be told that once you go off the pill that your periods will return very quickly and that means your fertility will return very quickly. Um, unfortunately, it's not that's not the way it is for all women. Mostly with friends and acquaintances, if someone asks me knowing my work, like, I, what should I do? Should I stay on hormonal birth control? One of the things I do ask them is, well, do, are you hoping to have a child or try for a baby within the next three years? Um, and I do like encourage women to come off, like not the year they want to get pregnant, but before that. Um, and that is partly so that you can get your fertility to return because for some women it could take up to a year. 
Um, but it's also um, thinking about, well, if you've been taking the pill since you were a teenager in your 20s, you may have been masking and band-aiding an issue that you weren't aware of, or perhaps your doctor told you about it and said that it was going to help it. So you might find you have PCOS or a hormonal imbalance issue that you really want to tackle before you start trying to get pregnant if you want to get pregnant successfully. Um, and so you need to give yourself some lead time with that. Um, and of course, for some women, they do come off and they get pregnant right away and everything's fine, but it's just not the same for all women. Um, and in terms of mood issues, so, you know, as I said, my the subtitle for my, my blog was Who Am I When I'm Not on the Pill? And that was one of the main um, topics I tackle in my book is this idea of how the pill can change your personality um, and make you feel very differently um, and a lot of women talk about and I have quotes from women in the book who who come off the pill and, and feel like they're very different people um, and that the pill had changed them in some really fundamental ways which is as you said absolutely terrifying I think the issue with the postpartum situation would be that if you've been on the pill for a really long time you're going to have nutritional deficiencies so there's some great um, resources out there now about what nutritional deficiencies there are but the pill is depleting nutrients um, it prevents you from absorbing nutrients that you need um, and it also uh, usually produces once you come off you have to basically get your body to produce its own levels of hormones again because it hasn't been doing that while you've been on the birth control so those two things if you go <clears throat> into pregnancy and then come out of pregnancy of course there's other factors involved but you might be more susceptible to uh, anxiety and depression as a result of that because your body doesn't have the reserves it needs and the, your hormones are not in balance prior um, which is all you know why you want to have a good lead time why I say like do you want to try and have a baby within the next three years not like do you want to try and have a baby this year um, I do think it's advisable to 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 give it time um, and you know they used to responsible doctors used to actually advise women come off the pill and use condoms for six months because of the B vitamin deficiency that comes about including folate from being on the pill um, which can cause fetal um, abnormalities and, and things like that um, which of course could bring about miscarriages so but I don't think that's commonly done anymore uh, unfortunately, but that just show you that you know there is an understanding in the medical establishment that you do need that time. That all blows my mind. I totally believe it about the anxiety piece. I um I was on birth control, hormonal birth control, all through college, and at some points it made me a complete psycho it truly messed with my body at like such a core level it was so scary my mom actually had to drive to my university and like yeah it was really crazy it was wild mm -hmm. how much that it changed me and then the depo shot too so then I transitioned to the depo shot um and it was supposed to help me gain weight and it did help me gain weight um but and I loved it I liked the depo shot but when I got off of the depo shot and I transitioned to non-hormonal birth control um I saw such a difference and it was so wild I saw such a difference in my anxiety um, so yeah that hits me at a core level what other side effects might might we not think of that could be being caused by our birth control other than like obviously the typical things that we think of 
Yeah, so I think, you know, as I say in my book, I talk about the mental health side effects I suffered, which similar to you, I had very bad anxiety and de- uh, sub- what I would call subclinical depression symptoms, which included things like uh, social anxiety and some obsessive compulsive tendencies, um, panic attacks, things like that. Um, and I think more widely what I hear from a lot of women from the mental health standpoint is that like you might not experience depression, you might not experience panic attacks, you might not experience something that you would class as that severe, but um, there is some research to show that hormonal birth control can bring about anhedonia, which is essentially a mental state where you just don't feel like you really enjoy anything anymore. Um, you you feel okay, you don't feel really low, but you don't feel great. Um, you can't kind of reach positive emotions of happiness or joy or contentment. Um, you kind of feel flat um, and you can't sort of feel enthusiastic or interested in anything. Perhaps you lose your sense of motivation or drive or your ambition or those kinds of things, which are linked to, you know, things like loss of libido and sex drive too, because women have you know, the effect of testosterone on women is similar to men in that it does have uh, other elements to it as well as, you know, losing your libido, you may feel you're not as creative. Um, I've heard that from artists, dancers, all kinds of people. You know, you may just feel demotivated uh, or blah or sort of, you know, that's kind of how women explain it. Um, And I think that's much more pervasive um, than the more extreme side effects. And I think it's just as worrying because many women won't come off um, because they don't think they need to, and they will when they eventually do. They'll realise, oh, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm actually was, you know, was shifting my personality in that way, um, and I think that's really worrying um, in terms of the effect on quality of life over time for women. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more with all of that. I am just totally mind blown with everything you say. My mouth hangs a little bit further open oh makes me so sad for people you know i wish they just knew exactly what was happening which that's how we got here so Mm. what do you say to people who are thinking i would absolutely never go without birth control um what alternatives do people should people explore if they're feeling really reluctant to change? Um, Cause there's a spectrum listeners. If you're out there thinking like, what the heck are you talking about? He he it's because there's a spectrum. You, I, I consider it like really kind of far out crunchy things. And then you have your very other end of the spectrum, which is very typical stuff. And then there's a spectrum all in between of things that you can use. Um, but if someone is feeling really reluctant, what, what are the top like one or two things that you 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 ask them to explore? Well, I think you first of all have to ask why you're on it. And for most women, it's a combination of avoiding pregnancy and maybe something else. Maybe they feel that without it, they would have acne or mood swings or cramps or something. So I think the first thing to tackle is like, why do you want, why did you go on it? And what makes you feel you want to come off it? Now, if you're sat there listening to this and you think, no, I love being on the pill, it's great. I don't have any side effects. I'm not here to tell you, you know, you shouldn't be on it. I would love for you to learn more about your fertility cycle. I think it's really important that you are aware of the side effects, but 
if you want to stay on it once you've educated yourself to that level and you've just you're listening to this podcast you've read my book or whatever it is you want to however you want to take this that's fine you know I'm not here to prescribe that no woman is ever on birth control I think you know that's an individual choice and sometimes that choice falls on the side of that this is a better choice for you than not being on it and that's okay um but I think if you are interested in your listening and thinking, hmm, I do have anxiety, I take medication for depression, I am worried about breast cancer because my mum had breast cancer, or, you know, anything like that, then one of, you know, the best way to do it at first is to just come off it and give yourself a full six month break to see how you feel. You can't do this within a month and back on because you need to give your body time to create its own hormones again and start cycling again Um, and obviously to do that you do need to cover your bases in terms of avoiding pregnancy if that's important to you at this point Um, and so I you know advised um, initially obviously condom use um, with an additional spermicide something natural like Contragel Um, but then you also need to look into supporting your body and coming off for some women they'll bounce back right away it won't be a problem they'll feel way better within a month within three months they'll feel fantastic won't be an issue but some women will need something that gives them a little more guidance like uh, Dr Lara Bryden's uh, book period repair manual is really great for that Um, that's a really good option also, Nicole Jardim, uh, J-A-R-D-I-M, does, has some great online courses for coming off the birth control pill. Um, in terms of nutritional support, self-care, things like that, that you might need if you do find, oh, I'm having hormonal acne or my PMS is bad again or my cramps have returned. Um, because as I mentioned, the pill hasn't fixed any of those things exactly while you've been on it. Um, but you know for a lot of women it will be a very positive experience and that will be enough for them to decide that they'd rather not be on hormonal birth control anymore Um, and that's really the best advice I can give I mean if it's something that you feel um, you're reluctant to change because you feel it's working for you as I say okay that's good as long as you're aware that there are side effects that you um, you may not have experienced them up to this point, but you may experience them in the future because some of them can be insidious um, and build up, especially in nutritional deficiency issues. Um, and you know, just just as I said, as I say to anybody I meet who asks me, you know, if you do want to uh, see where you're at with your fertility, if you want to plan a family um, in three years' time, it's a good idea to give yourself some lead time prior to to timing that out. I love it. That's so much great information. So you talked about, um, you know, other alternatives to the hormonal birth control. What are those alternatives? So when I first came off the pill, as I mentioned earlier, I learned all about fertility awareness or the fertility awareness message, which is basically understanding that because we have a fertile phase of our cycle, which is that six days I mentioned, the 24 hours the egg survives <clears throat> and the five days of the lifespan of sperm, that you can track that and know when that falls using the fertility signs your body gives, which are based on body temperature changes. Your body gets slightly hotter after you ovulate and changes the cervical fluid. Um, so that's great information to know. There's a book everybody enjoys, which is Taking Charge of Your Fertility. 
Uh, there's also another book by Katie Singer, Garden of Fertility. Um, but I also now am a brand ambassador for the Daisy Fertility Tracker, which is something I've used for three or so years um, in the eight or so years since I've been off the pill. Um, and that basically simplifies the fertility awareness method in that you take your temperature, so that basal body temperature, that fertility sign every day, and the Daisy uh, track calculates and informs you of your fertility status for the day as a red or a green light. So red is when you're in that fertile phase and green is when you're outside of it. Um, thankfully, you know, from my book came out in 2014 and since then technology has moved forward at a pace um, to meet more women's interest in going off hormonal birth control and using uh, non-hormonal methods. So if you're going to do something like that, obviously you also have to have a barrier to use when you're fertile or, you know, what you're doing is abstaining from the kind of sex that makes babies during that time. So if you want to like, use a barrier, there's things like the Kaya diaphragm, the FemCap cervical cap or, you know, regular condoms. And there's so many different kinds out there these days that you don't really just have to rely on what you find at CVS. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's what I would recommend doing is either taking advantage of the new technology that's available to you, like the Daisy, and or learning more about fertility awareness for yourself, and then combining that with barrier methods. So, what are your takes on non-hormonal um, IUDs, like the copper IUD? So, I think the copper IUD is um, a really great option for some women. Um, some women love it and it's been you know fantastic for them to avoid synthetic hormones that way obviously you're still experiencing a cycle so you can certainly learn about fertility awareness while you're using a copper IUD um, they're highly effective at preventing pregnancy they aren't without side effects though just because they have no synthetic hormones um, obviously you have the physical side effects of having the device in your uterus and you know perforation migration expulsion um, things like that but you you know many women report having more painful periods for a while longer periods um, but you also do have some issues that some people raise regarding copper um, especially in people's sensitivity to metals but also in the imbalances it might cause with other minerals um, and how it can change your vaginal microbiome and flora um, causing infections and things like that can be an issue too. Um, so there's a few problems with it that you need to be aware of going in, I think, so that you can properly advocate for yourself. But some women will obviously find it is helpful to them. And especially if you're not in a situation where you can work in cooperation with your partner, which is you need to do any kind of fertility awareness, manual charting, or with technology, um, a copper IUD is a great option because obviously you don't, you know, nobody has to know you have it, um, but it's very effective at, at preventing pregnancy. Awesome. Uh, listeners, you can check out more about copper toxicity on episode number 57 with Kirby Amore. She dives into her experience with the copper IUD and copper toxicity. So check that out. Holly, somehow women's health always gets thrown around like a pawn in politics and somehow actually women, you know, who are experienced this have very little control or even any input at all. 
in decisions that are made. So what kind of influence do politics play in the birth control specifically? What do our listeners, our female listeners who are being affected but don't really have a voice, what do we need to know going forward from this conversation? Well, I think, again, this goes back to your question about why is it still um, available? Why don't we hear more about the dangers, the side effects? And the political element of this is a big part of that, um, which is that, you know, as we know, um, in the US, access is always the issue at hand. Um, Who can access birth control methods? Will insurance cover it? Um, you know, can you get it from your doctor? How much do you have to pay, etc.? Um, so all those issues have been front and center for quite some time now, which means that discussions around safety and side effects have been sidelined, um, you know, partly because uh, of the fact that discussing sidelines and safety is often felt by those who are advocating for access to kind of play into the hands of the opposing side, unfortunately. Um, And so, you know, even the women that, you know, the families of women that I've, you know, that have died from using hormonal birth control methods from blood clot strokes, heart attacks, um, their stories don't get shared or spoken about very much because of that political situation. And so a lot of this conversation is really boxed in and and is is kept under control. Um, And that's a real issue, you know, from my point of view, I'm from the UK, um, the access thing is not as prevalent there, um, you know, as, when it comes to contraception, it's not such of a problem. Um, and so I have a very different perspective on it from that take. Um, and it does feel, you know, it feels very unfair to most women that we don't get to have that more holistic view or discussion about what our options and choices are and consent and information that we need, um, you know, going forward. I think, you know, women learning about fertility awareness and having, if they can, that agency and sovereignty over their bodies is is going to be become, you know, more and more important as time goes on. Um, there's nothing better than not having to rely on these services and whether they're going to be given to you or not, um, from my point of view, if that's something that's an option for you. Absolutely. Listeners, um, if you are new here, then this might be the first time that you're hearing me say this. But if you're not new here, you know that I'm the queen of saying no better, do better. So guys, you have this information. Make sure that you're really sitting down and taking a look at it so that you know truly what is going on with your body. Ooh. Some of this is super scary to even consider. I know. I know it's really scary, but you have to do it. It's really important for your health. Holly, where can people connect with you if they have questions for you, if they wanted to reach out and tell you how life-changing this episode was, um, if they wanted to purchase your book? Where do they connect with you? So you can go to sweeteningthepill.com, and that will connect you out to my email, um, my Facebook page, which is I still keep very active with, with news and research, um, as well as updates on the documentary. Uh, you can contact me via Twitter as well. I'm at Holly Griggs Ball there. Um, and my book is available wherever you would buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. There you have it, villagers. This is incredible from 
the history of birth control to how politics plays a role to the untold truths of what is happening with our bodies. Eesh. Little scary, a little empowering. I really challenge you to take the time to think about this and what you're putting into your body. If you are on hormonal birth control and you have more questions, reach out to Holly and I. We're happy to answer your questions. I have other people I can connect you with as well, um, such as people who have had copper toxicity in the past and experts who are. Um, you know, very knowledgeable about balancing your hormones. So villagers, thank you so, so, so much for taking some of your Tuesday today to spend time with Holly and I. I appreciate it. I hope that you walk away with some really valuable information. As always, villagers, find your tribe and love them hard. Hello, villagers. I just wanted to hop back on here and let you guys know that registration for the fourth trimester workshop is still open. If you are an expectant parent, this is the workshop for you. We're bringing it to you in your home, on your computer, you and five other couples and two professionals. It's going to be myself and I'll be teaching you all about bringing your new baby home. I'm even going to dive into a little bit of of sleep in the last trimester and how to get you some more sleep right before your baby comes. Then we'll start to prepare for after your baby gets home. How will you get you and your partner sleep? How will you manage your household with a new baby? Secondly, you will meet Kate. She is the founder of Serenity Sleep and Wellness, and she will be diving into how you can best support your newborn sleep once you bring them home. She is going to talk all about those first few weeks and months and what you can expect and what you can do to try and get as much shut-eye as possible. You guys, sign up for the link in the show notes. You don't want to miss this. It is only open to six families. So go ahead and get your name on it now. This is going to be on November 29th, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Get your name on the list. Do not be caught off guard in postpartum. Don't let yourself have a baby and then find yourself in the midst of a complete circus and leave yourself looking back wondering why in the world you didn't prepare better for this. Come on guys, make yourself number one, put yourself as a priority for two hours. That's it. That's all I'm asking you and this will be a total game changer in your postpartum experience. I will see you guys there. Don't forget to register in the show notes. As always, villagers, find your tribe and love them hard. Did you know that you can join our online tribes? Our private Facebook group can be found by searching the Tranquility Tribe podcast on Facebook. And our Instagram tribe is Tranquility by Hehe. If you have a story you want to share with us, please reach out to us at tranquilitybyhehe at gmail.com. Until next time, villagers.